Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Neurodive podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by the wonderful Lenara Tyler. Tyler, have I said that right? Yeah. Yeah. I always get confused. Tyler and Tyler. But I guess yeah. there'd be an O in there, wouldn't there, if it was Tyler? That's it. Tyler. Taylor. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, Lenara is uh, an autistic person with PDA profile who is also mother of an autistic daughter of the PDA profile and someone that I've worked with on a couple of webinars in the last year or so and, and really enjoyed herself because one of the Lara's, I think, or maybe your, your, would you say it's your definite special interest in our or one of them um, is attachment theory? Your main theory. focus. Is your main focus. Yeah, and behaviours of people. Okay. So I definitely want to ask you some questions about attachment theory and why that's been so important to you as, as we go along. But first, um, a little bit about yourself then. When did you have, you, have you had an official diagnosis or are you self-identifying and when did that process happen for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm self-identifying because um, I didn't, I always knew I was sort of different and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, being at school, I just thought I wasn't likeable. Um, or you sort of think you're like ugly or do you know what I mean or just not clever enough and you don't know why you don't fit in and I remember it's, it was my sister who had her diagnosis and then I thought and then she told me I, I think you probably could be autistic because I fit the profile mm -hmm. yeah um, Where, how old so your sister had her diagnosis how long ago was that yeah so she had hers 2000 I, I'm gonna just get I'm gonna guess it was 40 no hold on. maybe 17 or, or 15 or 14 or something like that and okay. then I, I i didn't think she was because i didn't really know much i didn't know anything about being autistic i, I knew i knew of it i didn't know i i had this vision of what it looked like like stereotypical vision of what being autistic looked like so i just kept telling her i kept telling people i work with there's no way she's going to be autistic and then she said she was and then and then it made more sense that i was because i i, I did do weird things like i, I couldn't understand why i used to rock as a child I would rock for hours to music and I sort of did it mostly when I was anxious so like um if my family were arguing I'd rock I'd rock a lot but I'd, I used to get really embarrassed saying that but now now I know it's really common because I know a few people that do it even now mm. I, I've grown out of it I mean I sort of I might still be a little bit like rocky when I'm a bit anxious about something but it's not uh I used to do it for hours I used to give myself a bad back um so I, I knew that was weird. I remember acknowledging it, thinking I should be doing this. This is weird. But then I thought, why? People smoke. People, you know. And then I thought, do I need a diagnosis? Probably not important. I don't think because I'm, I'm, I, I do believe I'm autistic. Hmm. So I don't yeah. think for me that's important. I don't think. But... And uh, was that when you had that kind of realization? Did you immediately become aware of or start thinking about PDA profile or when did that come into the mix? When I met my friend, when I met my friend, Harry, mm -hmm. um, my sister's social groups um, two years ago, no, 2019, I never knew what PDA was. And he said, and I looked into that after, and then he said, um, I'm ADHD, which I always knew because my sister said that. Um, I always knew I was ADHD, but I'm more, I don't, I don't know the, um, I'm not aware of the levels of ADHD, like the hyper, I don't understand that, but I do know that mine's more not um, energy, mine's more mentally, so I might, um, my mind will focus on something else suddenly during a conversation, it will just, it will suddenly just switch to something else and I digress. Um, so I knew I was, I knew I was ADHD, but PDA was completely alien, I was like, what is that kind of sounds like um you know almost like the add profile which is like the attention deficit without the without the hyperactivity side that's of things i think that's mine yeah i was talking to jody yesterday jody is it yesterday actually about this and we were wondering if it might it might prove later down the line that the combination of an adhd or add profile and um an autistic profile is where PDA might sit. I don't know. Uh, it does seem Maybe. to be common crossover. Yeah, it's, probably, it's also sort of it sort of comes in sometimes with um, being autistic, doesn't it? A lot of 
autistic tend tend to be ADHD as well. Yeah, I think there's a yeah, there's quite a high comorbidity, although it does always sure depend which study you read. So I'm not sure about because I know my dad. I think mm -hmm. uh, Harry hereditary and I, I know my dad couldn't read about it, I'm dyslexic as well so I don't know if that's to do with it I'm not really sure hmm. but um so you mentioned yeah. you mentioned uh, the the rocking um and you remember that as a young young person but is, was there anything else sort of later in life that you think would have would have been easier or would have changed if you'd have known earlier on yeah because um I had body dysmorphia and when I was at school, I was a mute and um, I was so shy. Mm. Um, and I was just so scared to, um, I hated confrontation, so I couldn't get in trouble at school. I'd probably rather hang around with the teachers than with the, the children. I, Because I, I was shy, I was um, picked on for appearance, because that tends to what happens to autistic children is, is that because they can see a weakness that you're vulnerable, they will they play on that to obviously impress their friends and stuff. So I do. I do think that, um, you know, because some of the bullies that bully you, they're going to be overweight, but yet they're quite popular. So in my head, I, I literally, I remember going home. I remember I, I had a lot of surgery and I remember going home to my nan when I was really young, I think I was eight. And I said, because some boy at school said I had a big nose and I never thought about my nose until he pointed it out. You know, you just don't think about your flaws at a young age until someone says something to you. Some people, um, my daughter in particular, when someone points something out to her, she literally, and I know this for a fact, it's like water for ducks back, it doesn't affect her. I can see the difference how it affected me. Hers is more friendship, making friendship that affects her. Me, I wanted to be on my own. I, I think I got to the point where someone would come to me in the playground and offer to play. And I was like, I'm so used to be on my own, I don't want that now. So I was like, no thanks, and I'd play on my own. And I'd think up things in my head, which is part of the PDA now, fantasy, when I think about it. Um, but when this little boy told me I had a big nose, I went home to my nan, so I lived with my nan, and I asked, I said to her, I'm gonna get a nose job when I'm older. And she said, she, 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 cause she was, uh, I'm getting to attach because she was quite a emotionally unavailable woman. She kind of just would never reassure you that you don't need it. She wasn't that type of woman. She'd just be like, oh, don't be stupid or don't be silly. And she wasn't like, I would be my child. Oh, what? I would get into the reason, okay, why are you feeling like that? Who said it to you? Did, did you see what I mean? I'd, I'd, mm. I'd be delving into, I, I need to get to the, I need the logic of it. I can't just brush something like that off because I know someone's hurting, right? And I'm not blaming her because that's how she deals with things. But I remember thinking, I'm so ugly and um, I would cry a lot. I never self-harmed. I was too scared. I, I was never that, I was never a self-harmer. Um, but I was just, I hated myself. And it got to the point where I couldn't talk to somebody without hiding my nose. Like I would turn to the side and like, hide my nose and stuff. And then I, I would just, I remember just thinking like, I just thought no, I was unlikable because of the way I looked. And then when I got older, I mean, I had surgery. I've had a couple of nose jobs, I had my ears pinned back, I've had, my, um, I've had a boob job, I've had my teeth straightened. I'm trying to think what else. Uh, I think that's about it. But I, I had, I do believe I was addicted to surgery. I was addicted to the whole feeling of it. And I still never happy afterwards. And it never made a difference. And I, and I did do counselling, but to me, it didn't, really, it didn't really help. I think more research and experiences has led me to be more confident. But I remember getting older and Googling, uh, being autistic and it came up on the NHS website and it said, do you think you're ugly? And it was like, it, because, and that was the criteria of being what you might think as a child. And I was like, oh my God, yes. And even though the people that bullied me were like overweight and I'm not trying to be nasty, but you see what I mean? It's because of the confidence. So if someone knows that you're not a confident person, they play on that. And that, that's what I find so hard with school. And that's what I think contributed to a lot of my anxious attachment it contributed to a lot of my had such low self-esteem I still have it now like even I get nervous about going out the shop still if I haven't been for a couple of weeks I'm like because I feel safe in my house when I leave but then once I'm there I'm okay and I can talk to people it's the thought of it mm. maybe autistic inertia maybe uh, I still have that it's still part of me from growing up that I did, I hated myself so bad. Like, and I felt like 
my sister was favoured and I felt I just felt that I just I just felt un, I just I just always thought that I would never be likable as a child and it's a shame when people feel like that that's it's like I was I was a high empath as well so I even if someone did pick on me I couldn't say anything back because I didn't want them to feel the way I felt so I know some people can but I can't do that so yeah. I mean I guess I guess there if if you had I guess a reason for perhaps being slightly different from the other children you might have understood yourself better but with without without those other peers those other children and young people being more supportive of that difference it still doesn't necessarily help does it it's, it I think this is why we need you know I've talked about it a few times on lies we need social skills training for all kids because all kids should be able to go you know the, the, the general sort of neurotypical idea having been in that kind of environment uh neurotypical or otherwise <laughs> some people yeah. question it um it, if they're not social if they don't want to have loads of friends and do loads of friendship oh they're weird if you're on if you prefer being on your own you're weird and actually loads of people prefer being on their own some people actually mask it and just get stuck in and at a cost some people actually do look to be on their own a bit more if we were educating kids that that's just part of being human i think we'd, we'd see a lot less you, you think it's okay how i think and i'm, I'm obsessed with the psychology of children at the moment and, and how they're brought up but I think also like you're right I, I have I have vivid memories of literally feeling like I was the only one in the world that was outcasted it was it's almost like you you're aware you're different and you'd question is it because I'm brought up with my grandparents why people bully me is it because my looks is it because you can't is it because my personality and you're and because you have no understanding of that of course it should be taught and no no child should be sheltered from from understanding behaviours in people, like why do people feel the need to shelter? Some people feel the need that if your if your parent might have a mental illness, we we were always sheltered from that. We was always like they. I remember worrying, thinking I was going to get a mental illness, thinking, but it's hereditary, right? That's it. Um, no social workers or my grandparents or no one reassured me. So I lived in fear as well because I was a worrier that I'm going to now hear voices like my mom and dad. I'm going to um, you know, I'm not. I'm just, I've watched them, and we we we've had to sort of look after my mum as a child, like even now. So that's quite hard for children. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to be like that. So I, I, so now with my little girl, I I don't ever shelter her from anything. I think you should, like you just said, that's my focus at the moment is just the children part of it. They need to understand because mm. there's so many children that are in that same situation, aren't there? Well, you've got you've got a system that teaches our kids, you know, by a certain age, they know more about, I don't know, some old dead fat bloke who had seven wives in, you know, 400 years ago, whatever, than they do about how to understand the people around them. And the, the person they spend the less time thinking about or the least time thinking about is themselves. And that's who they're going to be with for their well, whole life. Uh, I remember when my little girl was getting bullied. Yeah, I remember my little girl was getting bullied at her last school before she was removed. Oh, not necessarily bullied. I'd say more because like, she wasn't actually targeted like that. She was more out. She was. It found it hard to make friends. I wouldn't say it was bullying that I got, um, but she did have a hard time. But I do know that we. She was going to do a bully. She's really confident, so she could speak in front of everyone where I couldn't, and I love that about her. And she was going to do a week. We was going to ask if she could talk in assembly about bullying. But and talk about the suicide rates and stuff, but they won't get they're not gonna have that because it's gonna upset the kids. You talk about suicide, it's like I don't I don't agree with that. You need to not shelter kids from suicide and uh people that are going through trauma. Why shelter that? If they understand it, if you understand something, you don't fear it anymore. It's what yeah. you don't understand you fear. It's like flying. I'm scared of flying, but as soon as I researched it, I'm not scared anymore and understood how a plane stays in the air doesn't just fall out and that the air's sort of pushing it up I don't fear that anymore so it's the same with children they fear what they don't understand I feared my parents I was going to be like them I feared that every day that I was going to hear voices and, I, and it, at some point I did hear voices because I obsessed about it so much 
So you, I didn't understand it. No one reassured me. You need to reassure your children. And I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just saying that I never got reassurance. I never, and I never understood. I actually remember thinking that mental illness was a bug in your brain, like an actual creature. Cause someone said it once. Someone mm-hmm. said, um, your mum and dad, they, they've got a bug in their brain. So as a child, you just go to, okay, there's this creature in my mum's brain. And I was so scared of that. And it made no sense, but my little girl doesn't know that. Now she understands how, why my mum hears voices because of the trauma, because I explained it. Mm. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I've just, I've just tried really hard to not shelter her. And I've been so criticised for telling my little girl everything. I've always been criticised of that. And I, and I think it's helped her understand. Of a certain age though, kids will figure stuff out like that we don't give them enough credit for what they can pick up anyway and like you say if they pick up something really intuitively but with a little bit of wrong information there's a real risk like there was for you that they'll they'll think things that are you know really really worried that there's trauma in them i think that was part of my trauma was worry worry is such a trauma isn't it um going on to, to your daughter then when did your daughter receive or has she had a diagnosis? Did she self-identify? Because it's harder for a young person because without that diagnosis, people don't make any adjustments, do they? So yeah. as an adult, you've kind of, I'm not saying it's easy for you, but you've you've got to where you are already. Whereas Research if you're struggling they don't, through Yeah, but she, well, um, she's meant to be having it in November. Okay. She doesn't want it because obviously to her, she's like, she's a bit like me, not because I've influenced her. She just said to me, I asked her loads of questions. I said, do you feel happy with this diagnosis she said no I said and I said why she said because I don't see the point I am who I am and it's not I'm not doing it for any other reason I'm homeschooling I don't need it right I know I'm doing it for her family side of it um because the cultural difference and stuff and because they're difficult but she doesn't want to do it to prove to people she doesn't she's not she doesn't like having to prove things to people she's never been like that Mm. and she doesn't like to prove herself she does form to friends and do things for them to keep friends but she doesn't like prove it proving who she is and stuff she's never like that so I do feel sad for her in a way because I would never get a diagnosis for her because I liked her to have a choice and but I do believe it will help with it will help her because since homeschooling she's been happier but obviously her dad and their family want her to go back into it even though they agreed to it it's a long story but that that will probably help that will get them off her case a lot so it will help her in that respect because she's getting trauma for that because mm. the pressure so I do believe it will be good for her and also I think she'll quite enjoy it I tried to see the positives because I think it's quite fun the assessment I think it's quite a good couple of I don't know if it's a I don't know how it works I know my sister took her a couple of days but or something like that you have to get some people you know close to you but I think the assessment in itself is quite fun I think like um reading stories and, and making up your own interpret of that you know of that story like the interpretation of the story so I think that's what it entails I did read a bit about it I think it sounds quite because I've sort of told her it's actually seems quite fun really to talk about yourself a little bit doesn't it I think yeah I guess it depends on your perspective but yeah I mean it, it I think we're both quite interested in understanding yeah. people and ourselves so that would definitely fit for, for us I quite I think, like the idea. You also of it. like talking about her experiences as well. So maybe that yeah. yeah. I guess the trouble for any young person, particularly if there's possibly the PDA profile, it's kind of it's not your choice, is it? It's a it's a it's a relinquish of control. So, you know, I mean I think with your situation it's great because she's got a role model of someone that's looking at, you know, the positives as well as the challenges of those differences. Um, but for a lot of children and young people, it's it's almost like uh, someone's going to examine whether you're faulty, I suppose. Um, exactly. And there is a part of her that, of course, doesn't want to be autistic because um, she's been made on one half. For me, I'm telling her it's a good thing because that's your personality. You're li- it's literally your personality. You can't remove it. And then on her dad's side, they're telling her it's ne- a negative thing. So... Yeah. Um, and also because I've been through it and, and she's an empath too. I, I think you're born an empath. And I think when you've been through something, it's like you empathize more 
like mm. um you know like if you you can relate to your child more because you've been through it yourself and you're obviously being an empath you're gonna feel that but I'm not saying there's parents that don't care about it but to go through it and when she was crying in the toilets and stuff uh, at lunchtime because she she didn't couldn't make friends and that it made me cry because I was like I know that exact feeling and you don't want anyone to feel that Mm. you don't want anyone to go through that so that's why I think I think I I do think it's dangerous putting a a, um, neurodivergent child in a neurotypical school I do think that I'll always stand by that okay so you think there should be completely neurodivergent schools and and separate but I also don't there's not a medium so there's not a medium level so there's not like so if they might have learning difficulties and she was in them one of them groups at lunchtime for the people that couldn't make friends lunchtime group if you can't go out on the playground and socialize and she didn't like some of the people in there because she felt and that's not this is just not her being rude but didn't feel on the same level so she couldn't really communicate with them either so there wasn't a medium there wasn't a medium school where because you because you some, sometimes when I go to a social group I don't feel like I fit in there and that's mm. an autistic social group maybe because I'm PDA so maybe with Millie my little girl so maybe she felt that with them people that were autistic she didn't feel like she fit in there even she just didn't like lunchtime club so the best thing was to take her out of school Now, I mentioned at the start that, you know, your your particular area of focus is uh, attachment theory. Yeah. When when did you start getting into that? When did you first sort of come interested? And did it, was it a bit of, a, I don't know if I'm kind of misreading this, but was it a bit of a game changer in the way you understood yourself? And did it really yeah. help? That's the best thing I ever did was research um, about mm-hmm. attachment style. And for me, and this doesn't apply to everyone, it's more important than finding out I was autistic. Why? Because, okay. Yeah, because, um, as you said, there's plenty of autistic people that they might be um, secure or depends on their trauma. But for me, it was ruining my life. Being anxious, again, probably part of the trauma, being autistic, I believe it's all linked. So not liking myself is going to then play a part in a relationship, thinking I'm going to be left because I'm not good enough or pretty enough or whatever. And I think it, it used to just destroy my life. And I suffer from migraines. And so does my little girl from worry. I got, I get, I had, when I was anxious attachment, I found this really interesting. I had more migraines than I have now since working on it and becoming, I don't, I wouldn't say I was secure. I don't like to be arrogant and say I'm secure now, but I feel I don't get them anxiety feelings revolving around intimate relationships and being abandoned anymore. So like I was really ill, made myself ill with worry all the time and being um just constantly fear of rejection and it's not that's like I say it was like I don't want to be like this anymore I don't want to and obviously trauma bonding meeting people through their trauma are not taking all the responsibility either because everyone's got their own trauma and this is why people um have these problems in relationships and friendships and stuff but at the same time, I can only work on myself. You can't do, you can't work on the other person. And I just thought to myself, I had a, a, a pattern of um, self-sabotage and destruct, a disruption. And I just thought, and I just researched it one day. I used to listen to podcasts at night. Mm. And they're, they're the things that I think changed my perspective. Because I, I think you have to have a level of self-awareness and wanting to change first. And I never thinking, I used to be very defensive and live in victim mode. And I used to think, no, I'm in the right all the time, they're in the wrong. But then when I realised that if you're anxious attachment, like I was, and you generally are drawn to more fearful avoidant type characters due to your upbringing, that's going to then elevate your anxious attachment even more. Because it's going to bring... Say I was anxious attachment and found a secure partner, therefore they would be able to help my trauma because they're secure. If you find an attachment style that's opposing to yours it's going to be really toxic and unhealthy. And that's normally what happens when you're anxious attachment, you tend to go for trauma bonding people that have, or you're trying to, it's like when you're a child, the people that were in your life, you kind of, you need to find an emotionally unavailable person so that you can build up emotionally to be there for you. And you end up 
sacrificing in that relationship or like my little girl will um try and with her dad because he's emotionally unavailable she has so much empathy for him and she wants to please him order in order for him subconsciously to be emotionally available for her that's how trauma bonding works and it's quite dangerous for children really because they can do that in with their parents when they're younger i used to do that with my mum because she was she needed support so you ended up you end up supporting that parent to try and build them up for you and it's that's that's quite dangerous in with with children with trauma is it, I, I guess it it was something i picked up on in our in our previous conversations and uh it to me i wonder if like relationships are so bloody complicated like that no one really teaches anyone relationships um and i'm not saying that I mean, there's plenty of neurotypical people that struggle with relationships i think this idea that autistic people find relationships difficult well yeah we're us neurotypicals not exactly perfect at them are they like one in three ends in divorce or whatever it is you that's know why like the autistic thing isn't as important to me as the attachment thing anymore that's yeah. why yeah um but i also wonder if like the the attachment theories what they do is they give you some black and whiteness some, some like some concreteness about understanding a relationship and i think that that could be useful for loads of people but i wonder if particularly you know for an autistic person that might need some actual clarity because i've i've done sort of i've tried to work with children young people on understanding relationships before and when you start talking about it you're like i mean what you know what do i say when 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 is a friend a friend when do you when do you stop being friends with someone? You know, should you stop being friends with someone if they're mean to you? Well, it depends how often and what they say. And you know what I mean? It's it's. But do you know what? That is so interesting. I just, literally at the moment, children, this whole children and how they become attached. It's my interest. And mm. My little girl's friends and I. I kind of. I I would try and I always say that, I and I'm sure you do as well that these people are traumatized. So like my little my my little girl had her friend around the other day and she's not she's neuro, neurotypical and she has unfortunately i in my on my belief not diagnosing but i believe her, her dad um has borderline personality disorder and I, I do know that because he, he has been quite violent to uh in previous relationships and stuff and i, I know i know him as a person i, I know that every time he, he talks to her he's always angry um he always Will palm her off and not call her to come home she stayed around my house and she feels rejected now this little girl is not neurotypical I, uh, sorry neurodivergent as far as i'm aware I, I don't think she is but i will try and my little girl gets annoyed with her now she, this little girl is already showing signs of borderline personality disorder through her trauma um and rejection and i see from her quick her constant mood changes we could be getting on she'll suddenly just be sad or stuff like that but what I'm saying is um, my little girl get annoyed with her. So I try and tell her it's not personal because she's had trauma, right? So I try and say that she's traumatized through, and I'm trying to explain, I try and depersonalize things because we get annoyed with loads of people and it's harder for children to understand because they are hard to be around these people. My mum is, she's borderline and and to, to be around her her constant mood change is difficult right so like locking me out of the house sometimes because she lives down below um she was telling me yesterday oh i went downstairs and she said to me oh i feel paranoid the neighbor i feel like the neighbors are talking about me and people can read my mind and then like it, it's and then the day about a few hours later she was fine so it is hard so i try and tell my little girl like this girl is fear of is is scared so scared of abandonment that she needs to play these kind of a, a games where she sulk to get her attention because that's the only way she's known how to get attention is through sulking. I remember being with borderline myself, a, a man, he did exactly the same behaviors. He did exactly the same stuff. Like he would um, all, all go in one room and come back really sad, especially if I was happy. Cause, cause I analyze people and I don't think I'm the best person to analyze in the world, but I do really think that that's one of my main, I do think, so say if someone said, what's your main quality? I do think I'm really good at reading people and understanding why they do certain things. I just feel like that's something I'm proud of because I've been doing it ever since I was at school. I used to analyze, sit and watch kids and analyze them. And, you know, he would go in a room and see me happy. 
when I was happy, he then would deliberately be sad. Like I knew why he was doing it because he, he needs, the happiness has to come from him. It can't come from me. I knew that when I was doing up my place, because he's borderline, his fear of rejection, he wanted me to not do up my place because that doesn't mean I'm going to ever, he's not going to be able to secure me with him because I'm too independent. So he, then he'd, be, he'd say he would dig, he would make digs about my flat and say it looks bad. And I knew exactly what was going on. I knew I could read it like every step he made. So it's like, I try and do that with my little girl. I say, this little, this girl, she, 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 she's suddenly going quiet and looking stroppy and looking sulky because she, she's literally trying to test you to see if you'll give her reassurance. And that's a shame, isn't it? That she feels that's the only way she could get her, her constant reassurance. And that's a part of, I'm not saying that she's gonna be borderline by the way, I'm just trying to say that she's definitely anxious attachment and, um, and you can see it from, from, the, from, the, from the, she'll try and make my little girl jealous, but my little girl's like, why'd she do that? I'm her friend, I don't get it. Like what she get, I don't, why is she trying to make me feel jealous? I'm like, well, make, cause she feels like that. That's how she feels at home. She, she constantly hugs me. My little girl says, you're my mum. Like she's not jealous. She just sort of explaining, I don't go and hug her mum all the time around her. Why she do that? Cause she doesn't get that. Like, you know, do you know what I mean? So you, you, I've, I think teaching that, that child that they are not, that's not, they can't help the way they are. That, that's the, I think that's the best thing you can do really. Mm. So to depersonalize it, even, even with attachment styles, I don't take it personally now anymore. And how, uh, how did that help? you personally then did i mean because so what so once you left school and, and had struggled with forming relationships there did you find that as a as a sort of young adult you were having relationships that were causing you a lot of stress and anxiety or yeah so so like um like i said i, I think i've been with one secure person my first relationship and and I wasn't as bad in that relationship at all. At the beginning, I was. And I realised that he was a secure person, the only secure person I've been with. But then again, because he wasn't neurodivergent in my eyes, I think, I wasn't interested. I got a bit bored. It was too mundane. I don't like conventional relationships or seeing someone all the time. I need my own space being autistic and stuff. So I think I just got bored, but I never felt anxious in that relationship. I, I felt a bit jealous, like if he'd make comments about other women. But I'm, I'm talking about as I got older, I then would go for more emotionally unavailable people that I'd have to kind of guess or work out or try to figure out. And that became, to me, I'd get the spark if I feel interested in because they're, they're anxious attachment people, you know where you stand, right? So they'll be all like, it's not, I don't find that appealing because with anxious attachment men in my eyes, they will be like this to anyone. You don't feel special with them. It's almost like they're looking for someone um, to to secure to, to secure their attachment, right? So it's not personal. So with a fearful avoidant, in my eyes, I'd go for them because they're harder to read. They don't let in, they they don't let that you they like you. You've got to then do more guessing. You've got to then try and get them to like you more. So, um, so you know, I suppose I, when I started going for them, my anxiety got really bad because although that's more appealing that obviously has a detrimental effect because you, you, you're you not prioritised anymore. I know how it's going to work with avoidant now. So I know how it'll work if I meet I meet one. And people probably don't like it when I categorise people. I've, people say it to me all the time. Um, I've got a friend that lives near me and I know it's avoidant, a fearful avoidant. And I do know how to recognise fearful avoidant. They normally tend to be more reserved. They tend to be more um, introverted, but say they might be more loud on social media, but in person they might be introverted. They're also don't ever talk about their emotions or like if they're upset or they've been hurt by someone. And I sort of told him, because I've got this problem, I think, where I sort of, he was telling me his problems in his life, how he can't, he goes on dates and he's a good looking bloke. He goes on dates, it doesn't work out. He was also telling me how he can't talk to his dad because his dad only talks about his own problems. So I said to him, oh, it doesn't seem like, he seems like you're more emotionally there for your dad. And he was like, oh, stop trying to analyze me. And then he got really annoyed. And then his mum, his mum had died when uh, in his teens, right? So he didn't have his mum. So he's got his dad, so he's got no emotional support. And he looks after his nan who's got dementia. Now my brain always can't just have a conversation where I, I need to get to why and the root cause to try and help. But people see it as I'm analyzing them. Some people get defensive, especially avoidance. When I told him, 
he doesn't understand why it doesn't work out. I said, and he says he doesn't compliment women. I remember him saying, I don't see the point in reassuring women in relationships. I don't see the point of compliment. What's the point? And I just thought, well, there's healthy reassurance relationships. We all need it. It's like, um, you know, it may, it, it, I don't, to me, that's a very avoidant, not wanting to compliment, not wanting to reassure. And I remember saying to him, this was recent, um, I think you might be fearful of avoidant. He looked it up. It was such a new information. I think it's also neurodivergent, but he he looked a bit up and then didn't go back to it again because that's a new self that he'd, and because they're avoidant, they're going to avoid. So I knew all the stuff he was going to do. I knew all the stuff he was going to say, and I was right. So when people say you're categorizing these people, because in my eyes, anxious attachment people do everything I did when I was anxious attachment, beg people back. I manipulated people to stay with me like um, saying I had illnesses so they'd come back to me. I've seen people do that too. Um, voidance do exactly the same thing. They um, don't really reassure you. They don't prioritize you. Um, they only, they, they would rather talk about you than them. All the ones I've met. Um, so that you see the pat, you see the same pattern in the people. That's why there are these labels and that's, um, that's why it helps to categorize these people because then then you don't personalize it and think that you're unlovable, unlikable. You think you know it's their trauma. But did, so by categorizing, say yourself, did that allow you? Like, do you think you've changed your attachment style, or is it something you could never change? Or yeah, you can. And I I used to listen to that podcast, and one of the there was this really I used to love this guy who used to talk about it. I was obsessed. And he used to, and someone asked him a question and someone said, can you change your attachment? That's what everyone wanted to know. And he said, yeah, with the right amount of self-awareness, because that's what it comes down to, because an avoidant, and I have met two avoidants that, that when I've described what they're like, they're like, yeah, that's me. I remember one person said, um, I said, would you be upset if we didn't talk again? He went, yeah, but I just wouldn't show it to you. You wouldn't know about it. Mm. So, and, and, and they never show you that very rarely will they show you that they're hurting but they are but they won't they, they can't show that vulnerability right so listen to this podcast I remember thinking right so I can I didn't think I could change it for some reason I know I could I, I thought I could fake it like you know when you suppress it I thought I thought right this is the difference and I've had this conversation so many times you can suppress you can suppress how you feel so when you're anxious attachment and you get that anxiety in your stomach that burning jealousy or that um you know that feeling like you're going to be abandoned no one's interested in you you can't suppress that and still feel it, but not let the other person know. That needs to completely go to know that your attachment style has changed. So for me, this is why I love this conversation. For me, I don't feel that anymore. And I'm not saying I'm secure. I might even be avoidant now. I might avoid these feelings now. I said that. I said this yesterday in a conversation. I don't even know if I'm avoiding because I don't go on any dates. I don't. I don't um, talk to anyone and, and try and get a. When you're anxious attachment, you need um constant validation from people in your life so i would always try and look for it in men like trying to text them or get them to like you know but i don't feel like in that at all and i don't think about that the first thing in the morning was the first thing in the morning i used to think of i used to check um seeing if someone had messaged or so i mean now i just look on like something i've got to do that day or do you see what i mean or like something i've written on because i'm obsessed with love island at the moment so i always make comments <laughs> but because it's I love analyzing them too and I, I got them right as well some woman tried to challenge me the other day and then the next day she texted because I was right in the next episode what was going to happen I predicted what was going to happen and it happened with this couple and after she went I was waiting for you to text all day she wasn't being angry she was laughing so I thought that was quite sweet because I'm, I'm always prepared to be wrong but when I watch them and analyze them and you can tell their attachment style you know what's going to happen right so, okay here's what we're going to do oh, here's what we're going to do because I'm, I've picked up stuff from our conversations, but I've never looked into attachment theory, so I'm still not 100% clear on them all. But I do bloody love and watch every night Love Island. So my challenge to you, can you teach Sam the attachment styles via Love Island? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, people watch that. that is. That's why, I, do you know that's the only reason I watch it? Because I just love... It's so See, interesting. Who's, who's pretending to be interested in someone? And who the is only it? thing is, I, I I watch it. I'm slightly crueler. I watch it because I love the way the producers just mess with them. <laughs> and just like yeah, that, after, that postcard thing is brilliant. Do you, like, agree, do you agree that after Casa Amor, it gets a bit boring? 
Yeah, because they start then making them cut. They start feeding into the couples until until no, the sorry. lie detector one's good. The that's lie detector good. one is good because none we of them. Have they're not the sort of people that understand that those lie detector things don't stand up in court. They are not that reliable. So, the, the, if you, if a lie detector beeps and says you don't fancy them, just say to the party, it's, it's bothered. Yeah, you don't need a lie detector. I'll go and do it because some woman, some woman went. <laughs> Some woman went, God, um, sorry, who makes you the expert at analysing people? And I said, do you know what? I don't think I'm an expert, but I actually do think I'm good at it. This is this is my one quality I'm going to stick by. And do you know what? Um, that's the same woman that that didn't that shut up when I went into all the attachment stuff and she just shut up. And, and I, I remember thinking, and she went, God, you're a producer's dream. And I remember thinking, I'd love that job. If I you can go on after, after, what's it called? After Sun? After sun next next time it comes out, Laura, you need to do a YouTube channel analyzing the attachment styles yeah. of Love Island. You, you get a lot of traction, I reckon. A lot of people would want to watch that. But go, oh, go on then. Who who on there? How can you teach? So anxious attachment. Tell me about anxious attachment and who uh, on li- Love Island. Liberty, liberty, is liberty. Anxious. Okay, why is that? Why is she anxious attachment? She's codependent, and she is very naive as well. So like. She she probably, but she's, I tell you what, I'm going to give this, I love her because she's so intelligent and she's so self-aware and she's a person that can change her attachment style. Right. But she, I, I know from her trauma, she doesn't like herself, which is really common trait in anxious attachment people and all fearful avoidance because they have this, right, fearful avoidance and anxious attachment both have the same fear, only they show it in different, only it comes out, their trauma comes out different. So a fearful avoidant will split between being vulnerable which you can normally count on how your fingers how many times I've been vulnerable in your relationships very so you remember it because it's so it's so um it's so few but an anxious you you'll just know them to always be this not being horrible but crying emotional scared character so that's why it's harder to when you see them vulnerable to be like oh my god they've been vulnerable and you get so excited when a fearful avoidance vulnerable because you're like wow I'm not I don't see them cry like so this is really but they have the same fear they don't feel good enough they don't like themselves, but they show it in different ways. They su- they suppress, but they have the same fear of abandonment as it's all attachment. It's all abandonment. It's we're all, we're all social creatures. It's all to do with socialising and being accepted, but it's just shown differently because they believe that when they're young, if they show they're vulnerable, it's proven to not be beneficial, a bit like a narcissist. So if, if um, a fearful avoidant has been vulnerable to their parents, say like, I got bullied today at school and they're just like, oh, don't worry, you'll get over it. Just make new friends. They think, right, well, I can't be, I can't cry now because I had no support. So they now have to suppress that. So when they get older in relationships, it's very rare you'll see them. They of course they, but they do get vulnerable because they they split between both. And I, I've had relationships with a fearful avoidant where they're quite needy. And like you think, yeah. oh my God. And then all of a sudden they're distant. You're like, what? It's so confusing. Now, so Liberty's fearful avoidant then. Liberty and she no sorry what? she's anxious. no she's anxious. not sorry anxious attachment Be- anxious. and because, and you can tell this because she, it's almost like she's good at analysing people but because her emotion when you're you build a connection with someone whether it's your trauma or not your emotions are high and your logic is low so when you don't have feelings for someone i.e. Faye your logic comes into play so she would go now. When you love somebody or you have that connection, that butterfly feeling, all of your logic, you don't sit there when you've got that emotional feeling and going, well, he doesn't really eat the same foods as me, doesn't really like watching the, you don't care. I've I've, been, I've worked in courts in, in witness support and I've seen a woman who gave up all her children, she had five kids and she still stayed with this man that kicked her teeth out. She couldn't hold her head up. She was really, she had no confidence. She was so anxious attachment. I think there was other issues there, but she remained, remained staying with this man, obviously because low self-esteem, that's all she thinks she's worth. But because... Anxious attachment people don't use logic. They go by the they they are driven by their anxiety and what and not, and wanting not to be rejected or abandoned. Liber- uh, so like Faye, Faye doesn't like Teddy, but Teddy likes Faye. Teddy Ooh. is fearful, fe- Teddy's fearful avoidant, and he I really like him. He would be mm. someone I'd go for. I like the shyness. <laughs> I, like, I like I just like he's quiet. He's, he's very a respectful. nice bloke. He's, he's a got nice bloke. Right, and then some woman wrote to me on a thingy going, I suppose you think Liam and 
Toby are amazing. I said, actually, you're assuming. Why don't you ask me? No, they're not. She said, perfect. I said, they're not perfect. No one is. But they've got the main ingredients for a healthy relationship because they acknowledge their faults and their self-aware. And she didn't come back to me. And I said, I, I wrote a big, massive, long one. I loved it. But I said, I said, they acknowledge their faults. That Faye, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of her for saying sorry. But she, he went to Catherine Moore, came back... She saw him on the postcard, so then she thought she wanted him again because he went with someone else. She wants what she can't have, part of her control thing. And then you again, know, sorry to interrupt, because I picked up on this, because one thing they stopped showing was before all the Casamora stuff, she was already saying, he's a bit boring, he doesn't make me laugh. Then she saw the postcard, then she was like, oh, that's an excuse, do one. Blah blah blah. Yeah, so yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I don't think Liam's not the funniest guy in the world. When you have that emotion, you you don't care. For me, if I meet a fearful avoidant, long as he laughs at me, I don't care if he's funny. That these, I know people go, but I want a funny man. I want this. I want that. They get all them things, but they don't have the emotional connection. So there's physical, mental, and emotional. For men, for men, and I wrote it online. When men. It's physical for men. Unless you're demisexual, it's physical. Uh, so sexual comes, physical comes first, then emotional does, and then mental. That's normally how it works, right? So Jake, he he's a man. He he doesn't have any emotional or physical with liberty. He said he didn't want to rip her clothes off, which is the bit which is which I wrote online because everyone's like, oh, but they're really sweet. But everyone knows what he's like now. For men, they're physical. So straight away, he you need that. In the first seven seconds of meeting someone, they normally say, and it, and if a man would think everybody's attractive, they'll be they'll be reproducing with everyone. So you don't get oxytocin chemical for everyone. You won't, you only get it for certain people, right? He doesn't get oxytocin chemical with liberty. You can tell from his responses. You can tell from um, just his actions. Like I mean, saying he he, did, he didn't fancy her. I, mean, I can't wait for tonight's one because obviously they should have shown. Oh, hang on, I'm one behind. Because I'm so old now that I get up at like I get up about four in the morning, go to the gym. So I'm asleep by half eight. So I have to watch it one in hand. So I go to bed really late. Okay, but right. So because it's so interesting, he is doing it for the money. So I believe this is what happened. I believe some of his friends or his family have said you need to stick with the same girl from the beginning. Bring in the break. It's the format. It's the Love Island format, isn't it? It's the was it Johnny and Hannah. what was the, the other stupid ones? Nathan and Cara. It's the format. Right. So they he he already brought on bracelets that he was going to give to this special someone. Now, yeah. he he I think she's pretty. I mean, we all have our own takes, but I think she's what's really attractive about her is her mind because she I didn't she's very and she's so selfless. She cares about Kaz. She doesn't even when she's going through crap, she's really selfless and I can see that she would definitely be someone that Jake would go for I also think Jake I don't think he's a full narcissist but I think he's is quite near enough because every time he goes on to that camera and keeps explaining what he is is really cringy I really hate it when he goes to the camera and goes I'm the guy at the party that just laughs I'm the you know I'm the guy I, I do any challenge me he's all about himself when he got exposed for trying to sway the other boys so he could win his main his his main concern was for himself he didn't go to find her to reassure her. When you have emotional attachment to someone, you don't care about anyone's opinion about you. You're like, shit, shit, my partner, they're going to, do they love me still? Um, he would have gone to her to reassure her first, but he didn't. Did She had to find him. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. She had to find him. So that goes to show he was only concerned for himself. The only concern was for himself. Um, also, I got really annoyed when she lost the bracelet because I thought he don't give a crap about the bracelet. So don't even make don't he doesn't he didn't give a crap. He, but also the thing is as well, which is really sad because she she probably there might be a part of her that thinks he's not trustworthy, but that oxytocin chemical is too strong and her logic goes out the window. So for some for someone that goes just leave him or I don't know why Teddy bothers with Faye. He Faye uh, Teddy has an emotional connection with Faye, hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, I'm interested in. They're genuine too. They have genuine feelings. They mess up because, by nature, men are men are built with more than one person. So of course they're going to make mistakes. They're human. Teddy. So of course they're going. Is is Ted is Teddy not any kind of it to me? He doesn't seem that secure because he's almost. I can't. I think what what I struggle with with Teddy. Is, he's fearful of he's, he's fearful. 
is he fearful? I thought so because he's so nice. He just shouldn't. I'm, I'm not a fan of Faye. He shouldn't. Like, what's he doing? She's punching way above there. I hate her. <laughs> yeah, and I also, nice. I, I hate her. But also, no, I, I was... but also, I tell you why avoidant because he can't talk about his emotions. So at one point, you know, he 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 wanted her. He just put his head back and he didn't say, "I really like you." Still, he just wouldn't say that. Whereas Liam would go to Millie, "I want this to happen. I want this to work." Teddy doesn't want to say it. He, he feels it, but he doesn't want to say it. And there's, he hesitated when they got back together because he's so scared of being hurt because he's, so he couldn't, so he was a bit like cautious. Um, it was really funny when he walked into the room though. He went, I'm fucking staying. I was like, it made me laugh. It did make me laugh when he came back in the room when he just, oh God. But no, um, but I like Liam and Toby. I don't know about you because they, they're genuine. They have genuine feelings for the people they're with. Okay. So, like so hang on. So let me just let me see if I've got them. So the fit. So the the categories are: you've got anxious attachment, which would be a liberty, and Faye, and Faye. She just is not into Teddy. She's not into. There's no emotion. She hasn't. She hasn't got an emotional connection to him at all. Teddy's fearful avoidant. What other categories have you got? Who else matches them? Well, I think Jake. I'm not. I'm not sure if he's secure, but I do think after the show, this is what I believe is going to happen. Either, oh, he's gonna cheat, either he's going to cheat or he's not going to prioritise Liberty because he's not into her and she'll get fed up with her being him being self-centred and she'll leave him. That's what I predict is going to happen. And um, uh, uh, so Faye is insecure attachment, you can tell. She's she's also got body dysmorphia. And I wish I wish she wouldn't wear that lipstick. I wish she'd wear a nice colour. Um, it really annoys me and my little girl. We're like, wear a, a red or something. She, do they look like two burnt sausages, her lips, don't they? <laughs> yeah, her lips not, are two I, burnt I, she's sausages. She's definitely not my type of right. mate. So, <laughs> no, it's so cringy when they say, do you really hate the neurotypical stuff when they go, so what's your type? And they go, tall, dark and handsome. I would say as a joke, short, fat and ginger or something, <laughs> or like blonde or like, do you know what I mean? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say... I, I wouldn't keep, and you know, and do you ever think at the end when they when they do the recoupling and it pauses and they go, Liam, like we all know who they're going to say. I want them to say a different name for a, for a troll, just for a joke, don't you? Just spice yeah. it up, just just a laugh and then go joke. Or just be honest and when they, the ones that come in, just be honest and say, well, you know, what's your type? Oh, well, I'll go with whoever's available because we've only got two freaking weeks. Because <laughs> I'm anxious attachment. Otherwise, yeah. I'm like, aren't I? So, <laughs> But also, I did. I tell you who I liked. I liked Hugo, and here's why: one, I think he was autistic, and two, mm. because he 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 wasn't playing a game. He wouldn't just go with any old woman because he wanted to win. He didn't feel the the spark, and he wasn't being fussy. Do you know I hate people going, "Oh, he's too fussy." He didn't feel it. You can't help who you do and don't feel it for. It doesn't matter if they're stunning. And the best bit of the entire series so far is when Hugo got binned off with the bird he was with, and didn't even <laughs> he really like Chloe. It, it didn't even think when they said, oh, you, you know, tell us about your journey or whatever they asked him at the end. It does like, and the, the other ones, the bird step, the woman step stood next to him, I can't remember her name. And he goes, yeah, well, obviously, you know, my journey was a bit up and down. Didn't really, didn't really find what I was looking for. And she's like stood next to him, having left him like, what? I thought we were still... <laughs> Yeah, like what? <laughs> I knew, I knew every time he went into the every woman every time. I just knew it. I knew the, I knew he liked Chloe. So obvious, and yeah. he really liked her emotionally. And I loved Chloe. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't know who you're rooting for to win. Uh, who are you rooting for? Oh, I don't. Am I rooting for anyone particularly this year? If you have to, <sighs> I, I guess. Toby, but not. Yes! I like. Well, I like Chloe. I think she's got. I, like I think she's got an impulsivity, attention difference there. I, she's I, I, exactly say, I think she's autistic or, or neurodivergent at some point. Definitely. I would. Go, I'd see. I see her as more ADHD because she's always. Yeah, yeah, moved, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah, always yeah, like, no, and then she just yeah. says stuff as if she's thinking it. She's like, "Oh, that's fucking awkward." Like, which is brilliant. You know, know. great to watch. Toby, though, I think he's a massive. I think he's a game player, but it's. It's not like he's no. not even trying to hide it, because like at the start he was always like. No, oh. no, I don't. I, I don't. I do you know what I think it is. I honestly believe this. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just think 
he doesn't mean to fuck up. He's he's a bloke. They you can't blokes can't help fancy more than one partner. People need to realise that. But people mess up, right? And I think I generally think he doesn't. He's not aware of what he's doing. He just goes with whoever he fancies at the time. But I don't. But all the time, me and my girl, my little girl, knew he still had feelings for Chloe. We just knew it. She kept telling me. My, my little girl kept going. Oh, he's going to get back with Chloe, or he's going to fancy Chloe again. And he said it. So he. He's def. I want them to win because I think he's a nice bloke, and I think he he just fucks out. That's all. So, which, so hang on. Which so which ones have we covered? We so how many attachment styles attachment. are there? How is anxious attachment? How many are there though? You've four. got four. So anxious attachment is Chloe, Liberty, Faye. Yeah, I was about to say quickly. Dismissive avoidance wouldn't go on there because they don't even. Uh, they That's normally right. avoid. They normally, even, I've got a dismissive avoidant friend and he hasn't been with anyone in like 10 years, they, even when people fancy him. And they're not asexual. That's the, people get that confused. They still like that. They just don't want to get hurt. So they just don't go with anyone. So they might sleep with someone and then never. Very like rarely, though. Very rarely. They, don't, they even avoid intimacy, but they still are not asexual. There's a difference. Because I thought if you were going to say, oh, they, they sleep with people and don't, then don't ever want to like speak to them again. No, no, dismissive avoidance dismiss any kind of emotional connection or physical connection normally. Right. That's not asexual. Okay. So they're not going on Love Island, but particularly. No. So we've got so dismiss dismissive avoidance not there. Um, anxious, anxious attachment recovered. Uh, fearful avoidant is Teddy. Anyone else fearful avoidant on there, do you think? I'm, I'm trying to think. Hold on, I'm trying to think. Um, I don't know. What do you think? But... It's hard because I don't really care about the new ones. I don't know about you, but they just don't interest me, the new people. No, they need to find a different... I reckon the next one... Yes, I'm going to apply to be a producer, by the way, because I've got loads yes. of ideas about a mess with them. Here's what they should do next time. Because everyone knows what's going on with Catherine Moore, even though they're idiots and they somehow forget that they're being filmed. I know! I get so, so annoyed with that! Like, what are you doing? Of course you know. That's and coming up. And then they did the game of, oh, truth or dare, let's just all dare each other to snog each other. It's a game. No girlfriend no girlfriend I've ever had is buying that. So I don't know I'm where they say, feel that. I was about to say that. Why excuse it? Because it, I'll go to the one you fancy the most. And you can say no. I love how they think you can't yeah. say no. Oh, it's a game. You can't say no in a game. Like, what are you talking about? It's like, anyway, but what they should do next time, right, is split the group. So half the boys and half the girls go to Casa and Moore, but it's not the ones that are already together. So you basically go with all your partner's mates and see what happens then. And then like they, they'd be necking off with people with the girls that people know there. It would yes. just be two separate breakaways. I love, I love how there's me with the attachment, there's you with the ideas. Yeah, yeah, you can cover the, the theory. I'm covering the love island details. You, you just want to mess with the people. You just want to... Uh, there's me want to analyse them. You just want to fuck them up, all of them. <laughs> no, yeah. And also, they should have it where, like, I don't know, they have to sit and watch. You know when their parents come in? Yeah. Oh, instead of that, sit and watch all the shagging with their parents there. I know, last night. Oh, you got to watch last night's one. It was horrendous. They, they all qualified. Well, I, I knew a couple of. I saw a bit of in and out, in and out going on the other day. I'm sure of it. You, so. you know your life. You know your life when you go on Love Island. You have to do that on on TV. You, you think, oh my god, you know what I mean? This is it. Well, I do wonder if all of them actually would qualify as narcissists anyway. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. Just for going on it, but it's like it's like, it's like do, do, quickly digress. Do, do you remember um, uh, what's it called? Oh, what's the, what's, the, what's the, I can't think of it. Now. Hold on, um, Channel Four, a uh, Big Brother. Like Jed gave BJ a PJ, a PJ a PJ. Do you remember that? I think I do remember. I used to watch Big Brother right at the start. And that's when I it, that's when I ever watched that and thought to myself, this is really odd. Why are they doing this on TV? Because I was only young. This is yes. not good. And then it got and then it got a thing. But yeah, so um, you, your idea is really good, and um, I, I think Liam. I feel like he's a secure attachment. I get the vibe. He's secure. You reckon? Okay, yeah. Because he I think he's very easily expressing his feelings. He also doesn't give me the anxious five either when he needs constant reassurance. He doesn't seem like that. I think he's secure. He was pretty. He did pretty well at handling uh, Millie being pissed with him for a while. Because I either like, want, 
I either want them to win or Chloe to win. I'm happy with both. The reason I say that, because I like to see people that are generally in love. It makes me happy. And I, I feel like their emotions are pure and I, their intentions are real. Well, um, I reckon you can only tell that afterwards. The trouble with Liam. Uh, no, I, I think people can split up though, but because of their attachment styles. But I think they're, I think they're, in, I think feel their intent, their emotions are pure. Even though they're on holiday. Because. Yeah, but you still, I still think you feel for the people. I could just, you can just tell by body language. You can tell they're really into them. I, I'm telling you now, Toby's really into Chloe. I know I'm right. Does I, depend, I, it does it? Depends what, what your definition of love is, really, because, like, or they've it, got the they've got the oxytocin chemical with them. That's, a, that's the what I tell you. Yeah. We can measure them chemically. Yeah. Measure them chemically. You can um, tell. Um, I mean, we should probably go because it is a podcast for people to right. listen to and find help for. And if they're not into Love Island, they might have drifted off the last <laughs> bit of time. But just going back to summarise, then I think it sounds like to me that one of the biggest things that's helped you uh personally is using your attachment style to create a better understanding of yourself which has then led you to accept yourself which has then meant you can make adjustment adjustments to support yourself yeah mm. yeah and, and because because you know that you can't change the other person and you can't get the other person to your respect you've got to check, you've got to, everybody's got faults though like I, I really don't like it when you know you start with someone and they say I'll just get with someone else. They weren't worth it. I don't like them sort of advice or them couples. I don't like couples that don't, or friends that don't try and get you to understand the other person. Or I don't tell people to leave someone as soon as they're having problems. I don't like that advice. That's that's rubbish advice. It's the same yeah. as advice you get when you're a child being bullied. Oh, don't worry about it. You make new friends. It's the same thing. It's pointless. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you want to learn from every situation. You'd get on well with my wife then because she'd flip in. Every time I say I've a moan about someone, she goes, "Well, yeah, but they're probably doing blah blah blah." I'm like, stop doing that. Just be it on my annoying, side for a bit. But I do both. It's annoying because I do both. I go, "Oh God, yeah, I know. It's really annoying. How rude." I still say they're rude and call them selfish and stuff because we're so we still have emotions. But then I need to go, "Well, what's the reason? What's their, you know, why?" And I try and find out their attachment style and then explain it. Hmm. Okay, Lenara. I, th- I mean, I'm trying to keep these to around about an hour, which think we're on about now i don't want to take up too much of your time but i'm sure we can hopefully get you back on and, and talk to yes. you a bit more um, about attachment, always <laughs> um in the meantime is there i mean is there anything you you want people do you want to you want to say to the people listening is there anything you're promoting at the moment or think that they should, should do should look at i think everybody should try and learn their attachment style because everyone's got one and this is what I think when you're a parent. I think every parent, and it's hard because obviously some parents may not, they might have had traumas, they might not feel empathy, they might not deliberately know they're not, they might not be self-aware. So it's that's hard trying to tell parents, right? But I think every parent should emotionally support their child and emotionally by trying to understand them, by talking and trying to work out what they're feeling. Because not, I'm not saying, I just don't see it often like that. I don't see, and of course it happens thousands but I'm saying I, I just want them to not necessarily just hug your child all the time and like be needy for yourself because you want hugs or like buying them things just to keep them like you know you feel like you feel you've got to because you feel bad for not seeing them much I just want them to talk to their children and find out how they're feeling about stuff and explain why other people are like the way they are and not just them that oh they're horrible people and mm. some people just born nasty I hate I hate that one when people say some people are just born nasty is, there's no such thing you're not born nasty mm. like you're born and then you're traumatized and then you're in my eyes acting on how you've been treated so that needs to be put across to all parents like emotional support because when i think of trauma it goes to emotional support every time i never had it that much i did and i didn't and then when I've read books and stuff and when I've all the podcasts I listen to, it's all boils back down to emotional support. Like you said, what they need at schools, they mm. need more emotional support there. They need more understanding of these types of personalities and that. Why, why are we separating adult conversations to call, to call them adult conversations and go, well, this is an adult conversation. Like you're, look, let's face it, like look at all the attachments we've got and all the people with the cluster Bs and all them sort of types of personalities. 
they were sheltered, right? And mm. not explained. So it's, it's almost like, right, so when, when people have gone to me, don't say that in front of the child, like that's an adult comment. And I'm like, oh my God, like it doesn't work like that because that's the problem. Sheltering them, um, not reassuring them, not explaining. Also kids hate secrets. Like Millie goes to me, you didn't tell me that. Or like, why? and she gets feels more jealous that I don't share my life with her. Obviously I'm not gonna share really intimate stuff, of course. I'm talking about things she needs to know and understand to protect her brain. That's what I believe in. If, if, you, if your child's got a, a father that might be a narcissist or, you know, having one of these personalities or attachment that they're not very emotionally support, explain that. Explain that to that child. And explain what attachment style is to them Maybe and what you... You should, you should get... Can you get trained up? You should be. You could. You could provide a service to people. Understand I, want, I, I really want. Style. I really want to. I really want to, to. To. I can't help doing it as well. Like when my friend, little girls here, and I'm trying to explain. Like your dad loves you, but he, he's just had a bad upbringing when he got banned by his. So I'm trying to. I'm trying to understand because they don't get why their parents are their their parents are like this. They're just children. They don't get it. I feel a webinar coming on. Do you think? Really do you think? Do you think it'd be possible? in a, a webinar to have people watch and you let help them and like work out which style they are definitely 100 percent. i love it and i let's do it no, let's i do don't it. want anything for it i just i just literally love doing it and I, okay. I i just i could talk about it all day okay well let's let's uh let's make sure we we, we sort that out then through the next yeah. webinar all right um thank you everyone for listening uh if you have been listening which you would have been if you're listening to this bit so i don't know why i said that but yeah <laughs> thanks for listening um if you uh if you liked it if you want us to do more podcasts please like share leave reviews not crap reviews good reviews because obviously the crap reviews don't really help so if you want us to do more of the podcasts uh you know the more listens the more traffic it generates the more i can do it which is brilliant um because i really enjoy it i've loved speaking to lenara today uh, always, always an interesting conversation and hopefully we'll get her back again. If you want to contact me about maybe guests or just anything to do with the NeuroDive training and the, and the podcast, uh, it, the email address is neurodive at gmail.com um, and that's about it. Cheers, everyone.